wonder at the mention of his name. Awestruck wonder at the very mention of Jesus Christ. It's emotional to sing it, isn't it? It's another thing to practice it. Are we really in awestruck wonder at the name of Jesus Christ? Does his name really blow our mind? Or are we just kind of strumming along and, oh, people are getting kind of emotional, so it's kind of an emotional song. Is this, is this real for you? i got to be honest, I'm, I'm praying tonight that... Um, that God will do something miraculous in a lot of your hearts. That's, that's my simple prayer for tonight. Texted my wife, Tanya. She was making dinner. FaceTimed my daughter, Stephanie. She was making dinner at her own house now, which is kind of neat. Ah. <sighs> It's, uh, it's incredible to have an amazing family. My daughter, Angie, just graduated from high school this year. Just blown away, blown away at the blessings God has given me. I don't deserve them. I am a wretched, wretched sinner that is unworthy of God's goodness and God's grace. And yet he keeps pouring it out. My daughter, her wedding just a month ago, I'm just like, wow. These are two godly young people that decided to do it right. They decided to be faithful to each other and to God before marriage. They decided they wanted to be an example to the world of what a real relationship looks like. One that honors God. Got to show a few more pictures. I paid a lot of money for this wedding. Man, I'm blessed beyond measure, and I do not deserve that blessing right there. What an amazing couple. They're going to change the world. And they're going to do it one person at a time. You got some amazing leaders that have brought you right here to camp. And they're changing the world one person at a time. I hope maybe tonight one of you is that one person that has changed. You really can have answers. I've been trying for a couple days now to give you some answers to questions that many of you have about creation, evolution. What's the truth about it? What's the truth about the dinosaurs? I'm telling you, inside the church, confusion is rampant. And if you're confused, you will lose 100% of the time. And the people around you are going to lose because you don't have the answers. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can get the answers. And I think you should because 
People's eternity is at stake, and eternity is just way too long for you or a friend or a loved one to be wrong. My prayer is that we're turning a couple of the stumbling blocks that keep you from coming to Christ into stepping stones and helping you realize God is the creator of heaven and earth. We've gone through the two basic worldviews, the creation worldview and the evolution worldview. The evolution worldview or humanist worldview says that nothing made us. We're just uh, evolved from nothing. Humanism teaches, by the way, that the end of all being is the happiness of man. The reason you exist is for your own happiness, so go be happy. Whatever it takes to make you happy, that's what you do. The other worldview was Christianity, the creation worldview. The creation worldview says God is an amazing designer. He designed us. He created us. He built everything for his pleasure, for his glory. The end of all being is the glory of God. My simple question for you tonight is, are you living for the glory of God or are you living for your own glory? Whose glory are you living for? I'm convinced that many of the, the social problems that we have in the world today stem from the idea of evolution. When you think about racism in our world today and the, the clash that's taken place over the last couple of years with this idea of racism, you know racism is an evolutionary idea? You know, racism teaches that different skin tones evolved from different primates. Chimpanzees turned into the white people. Gorillas turned into the black people. Orangutans turned into the oriental people. Not joking. They believed that. They believed that. They, they did experiments to try to prove that. We won't go into that. It was disgusting. According to creation, we are on all one race, the human race. Yeah, we got differences in our skin color, but that's like nothing. That's based on environment where our ancestors grew up. That's actually a design feature that's built in your DNA to help you survive in a lot of different environments. They didn't always have air conditioning. Our little bitty tiny skin differences are nothing, nothing. Our DNA, despite these, these look at these skin differences. I mean, I, I got the freckles, okay? I wish I had the smooth skin like my wife. I don't, I got freckles. But our little skin differences, you have more melanin in your skin than I do. That's it. We are 99.99999% similar with our genetics. But there would be people that, use, that would argue now and have argued in the past that depending on how you look on the outside, your skin color, that determines how far evolved you are. Man, I'd love to do a whole talk on that, but we don't have time. The Bible says, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Are you sanctifying God in your heart? It's getting rough out there. Nowadays, I'll do a television interview if it's with a liberal uh, uh, media company, and man, they don't hold punches. I was on the Tom Hartman program. He's uh, from uh, Washington State. I don't know if you guys in California know this. They are also liberal up there in Washington, okay? Tom Hartman, I'm on his program, and he starts off the program by saying, hey, guys, ladies and gentlemen, um, Teaching creation to kids, telling kids that God created the heavens and the earth, teaching creation is kneecapping our children in the science. It's borderline child abuse. Creationist Eric Hoven joins us for the program. Eric, welcome to the show. He's just accused me of child abuse because I teach creation to kids. I said, Tom, I, hold on, I just got to correct your monologue at the beginning. Number one, teaching creation to kids is not child abuse. 
And saying that is a real slap in the face to any kid who's actually endured child abuse. I said, number two, telling the kids that there's right and wrong and they're going to be accountable to God one day is not child abuse. Telling the kids there is no right and wrong, you're just an animal, and then punishing them when they do wrong, that's child abuse. Now, what would you like to talk about? He didn't have me on very long. I got cut off pretty quick. It's the Tom Hartman program. A couple summers ago, they actually built and dedicated the very first monument to atheism in the history of America. We now have a monument dedicated to atheism right here in the United States of America. The American atheist had sued the Bradford County Courthouse because the Bradford County Courthouse had the Ten Commandments in front of the courthouse. And they said, ha, religion and state can't go together. we got to have separation of religion uh, and state, so you got to remove the Ten Commandments. By the way, nowhere in the Constitution are you supposed to separate religion and states. Nowhere. That phrase is in a letter from Thomas Jefferson who said, religion should influence the state, the state should not influence religion. It's a one-way separation. We are supposed to influence politics. We are supposed to do things that matter and run for office and run things civilly the way they're supposed to be run according to the way God wants. Well, they lost the lawsuit. They said, nope, the Ten Commandments are staying. The American atheist said, fine, if you can have a religious monument, then we can have a religious monument, and we're not a religion. The court said, all right, you win. You can put up a religious monument. So they put up their religious monument. They said, we don't want our monument to be impractical like the Ten Commandments. We want our monument to be practical. We want it to be something that people can use. So we're going to make it a bench that people can sit on. Like, all right. Well, I remember hearing that this was going to take place, and I was like, dude, I hang out with atheists all the time. I mean, I go to the Reason Rally. It's the largest gathering of atheists in the history of the world. I go to these things. Um, and, and I heard about this, and I was like, dude, I would love to go hang out with the atheists as they dedicate their brand-new monument. And I looked at the news, and it was like, dude, this was happening in my home state of Florida. I was like, I might be able to do this. And then I looked at my calendar. I was already scheduled to speak that weekend. I was like, oh, man, too bad. That would have been so cool. And then I looked a little closer. I was speaking in Jacksonville, Florida, one hour away from Stark, Florida, where the Bradford County Courthouse is. I didn't start speaking until 4 o'clock in the afternoon. They were dedicating their atheist monument at noon. I was like, God, you want me to go. You set this up perfectly, man. This is great. So I remember I got to go to the dedication of the very first atheist monument in the history of America. I went there, and I stood there, and, man, I talked to lots of atheists. I interviewed lots of atheists. I had a great time, good conversations. They swore a lot. That's okay. I just let them talk, and then I would ask questions, and, and we just had some really good conversations. Then they did their whole dedication ceremony. They had the, the monument covered up with a blanket. They did all their dedication ceremony. All these famous atheists got up and spoke, and if you want to get a crowd of atheists to, like, yeah, all you got to do is use God's name in vain, and all of a sudden, yeah, it's like, get that. I mean, if I use the Easter Bunny's name in vain, would that like, no, it's like, why? Uh, anyway, um, so they, they get all riled up. And then finally, the last guy, David Silverman, he was the president of the American Atheist Association. That's him sitting right there. He gives his last speech and they uncover the monument and cheers and applause. And man, they all go running over to the monument. 
And then David sits there and they start taking pictures with David and man, they're just celebrating. And, and I'm just kind of standing back watching. I'm like, huh. It's a lot of atheists here. A lot of atheists, like hundreds of atheists. And then, and then a thought popped into my little bitty brain. I thought, you know what? Somebody ought to use this opportunity. Somebody should just share the gospel with the atheists. I was like, that's a good idea. And then I was like, oh, no, 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 God. <laughs> that wasn't an idea for me. That was an idea for somebody, not me, surely not me. And then I started looking at their monument. The side of it's kind of like a four-and-a-half-foot-tall podium. They said they, they wanted their monument to be practical. I can't think of anything more practical than preaching the gospel. And I'm standing there staring at the monument going, God, you do not want me to do this, do you? You do not want me to do this. You do not want me to do this. You do not want me to do this. And then David Silverman, the, the president of the American Atheist, he's sitting right there. Um, he turned around. And he said, Hovind, are you photobombing me? And I was like, gulp, that's me standing behind him in the black. I was like, gulp, there's my sign. <laughs> so I got up on top of the monument, and I started preaching the gospel to the American atheists. <laughs> now, now, what do you say to the American atheists when you're standing right on top of their brand new monument? I started by saying, I'd like to thank the American atheists for their tolerance. Because they're always preaching tolerance. I'm standing on their brand new monument. I need some of that tolerance that they talk about. I said, and I'd like to thank you guys for providing a place to declare the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I started to give a very short gospel presentation. Now, in case you ever find yourself in one of these situations, I want to warn you up front, the American atheist tolerance lasts for 12 seconds, okay? You get 12 seconds of tolerance. After that, oh my goodness, the floodgates opened and their mouths spewed forth words that I will not repeat to you right now. They were asking me to do things that are physically impossible with my body. They were yelling and screaming at me, and I just gave a very simple gospel presentation. And while I'm preaching, all of a sudden, I heard somebody yell, where's the lions? I'm like, what in the world? Giving the gospel. Then he goes, where's the Romans when you need them? And I went, well, uh, I know. I know the gladiators. I know the Roman thing they're talking about. We know what they're talking about. They're talking about killing Christians. Colosseum, feeding the Christians to the lions. I, I don't know if you realize this. I'm a Christian. I'm standing up there, and they're yelling these thoughts. And I had a thought go through my mind as I'm sharing the gospel. 
Here's the thought that God put in my mind. Eric, would you stand up here if it was the last thing you were ever going to do? Would you give your life for the gospel? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Would I die for Christ? Hey, let me tell you how to really answer that. I know it's easy to say yes right now. Let me tell you how to really answer it. Here's the real answer. Are you living for him today? If you're not living for him today, why in the world do you think you would die for him tomorrow? I don't think so. I didn't do this as a publicity stunt, but the news media kind (laughs) of took the momentum away from the atheists the next morning, and the, the headlines read this. Creation evangelist mounts America's first atheist monument at unveiling. Preaches gospel. I was like, hey, nice. I like that. You know, thank you. I'm convinced that the day that I stood on that podium and preached to a whole crowd of hundreds of atheists, in the day like today that I stand right here in front of hundreds of middle schoolers, that there is a battle going on between God and Satan for your soul. And God, God wants you to repent and trust in him, and Satan wants you to live for yourself. Wonder, awestruck wonder at your name. Do we really wonder at God's name? G.K. Chesterton said, when we cease to worship God, we do not worship nothing. We'll worship anything. And when you stop worshiping God, who do you end up worshiping? You end up worshiping yourself. That's humanism. It's all about me. I mean, how long would it take me to follow you through life and actually learn that you're really living for yourself? You're not living for God. How many of your social media posts would I have to scroll through before I realize you're a humanist? You're not living your life for the glory of God. You're living it for yourself. We learned that in the last days, scoffers are going to come and they're going to walk after their own lust, their own selfish desires. One of those guys was Sir Arthur Keith. He said, evolution is unproved and unprovable. He was a very famous evolutionist. He said, it's unprovable. We believe it because the only alternative is special creation. That's unthinkable. We do not want to think about a God creating us because we know what that means. Charles Darwin, after he wrote his book, had a guy take his book all over Europe and make it famous. His name was Huxley, Thomas Huxley. His grandson, Julian Huxley, said, I suppose the reason we all jumped at the origin of species was because the idea of God interfered with our sexual mores. We weren't allowed to do what we wanted to do with God in the picture. They were humanists. The end of all being is the happiness of man. Christianity says, no, it's not about your happiness. It's not about my happiness. It's about the glory of God. Guys, I grew up in a Christian home. I went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Thursday night was choir practice. Saturday we did visitation. I was in church all the time. Here's the problem. I became a product of the church environment 
rather than a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Big difference. Heaven and hell difference. And I thought I was doing okay because I remember a Sunday school teacher pulling me aside and saying, are you going to heaven? I'm like, I don't think so. He said, pray this prayer. I prayed that prayer. He said, you're good to go. I was like, all righty, I'm good to go. Little did I know that that was putting my faith, that was putting my trust in something empty. It wasn't until I was in my 20s that I listened to a message from a guy who has become a dear friend. His name is Ray Comfort, and he's got this message called Hell's Best Kept Secret. And in this message, he contrasts the modern gospel. Hey, come to Jesus. He wants to give you a great life. Jesus will make your life all better. Jesus will take all those bad things away from you. And the real gospel, the real gospel is, friend, you are a sinner. You are in danger of hell. You need someone to save you, someone to do what for you what you cannot do for yourself. As he preached this message, my mind flashed back to the reality that I knew how to live life because I'd grown up in a Christian home. I knew what to say. I knew what not to say. I knew what to wear. I knew what not to wear. I knew where to go, where not to go, who to hang out with, who not to hang out with. But it was all because I just wanted to be accepted. I just wanted to be popular in the church. We just gravitate towards things that we are accepted to and, you know, I was in the church. I wanted to be accepted by the church, so that's how you behave in the church. So I did the things that they say to do, to behave, to be accepted in the church, and to be popular in the church. Then in this message, he shares the story of both Joseph and David. Joseph, when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, he ran away, and he said, how could I do that and sin against not his family, not his nation. How could I do that in sin against God? David, I don't know if you know the story, David sinned with Bathsheba, broke all 10 of the 10 commandments. He committed murder. He committed adultery. He lied everything. He broke all of the 10 commandments. And then when he was confronted with it, when Nathan the prophet said, hey, you're the one who killed that little lamb, and gave him an analogy, and all of a sudden, it's full weight on David of what he had done. The Bible says David tore his clothes and said, God, against you and you alone have I sinned. Not against Bathsheba, not against Uriah, who's now dead, not against the children of Israel, God. And all of a sudden, guys, I'm just telling you, it hit me like a ton of bricks after growing up in the church. My sin wasn't against the people that I thought it was against. Because I was good at saying, I'm sorry to my principal. I'm sorry to my youth pastor. I'm sorry to my brother and sister. Sorry to mom and dad. Sorry to pastor. Sorry to friends. My sin wasn't against them. It was against God and God alone. Man, that night, I watched that message four times in a row. And at the end of the fourth time, I got on my knees and I begged God for forgiveness. I said, God, I need to repent and I want to be sorry to you, not sorry to anybody else. I'm sorry to you for the sins that I've committed. I'm sorry. I want to turn from them, and I want to live for you. And let me just tell you, I was made a new creature in Christ Jesus. God did a miraculous work. 
the Bible says the, the new creature in Christ Jesus will have a desire for righteousness. My desire for righteousness came from a desire to be popular with my friends. God gave me a desire to please him, a true desire for righteousness. I remember wanting to know as much as I could about God. I went on this journey to just know the one true God of the Bible. I mean, I knew he was the creator of the heavens and the earth. That was kind of obvious, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then God said, let there be light. And let me tell you something. You did not want to be standing in front of the mouth of God when God said, let there be light, because light came flying out of the mouth of God. You guys happen to know how fast light is traveling? What's the speed of light? Anybody know? Nope, sound is pretty slow compared to light. Sound goes like seven to 800 miles an hour. Light goes way faster than that. I think he said it. What, what, what did somebody say over here? Did you, what did you say? Meters per second squared, which is way more. Light travels 186,000 miles, not an hour, per second. Light can travel around planet Earth seven and a half times in one second. That's booking. That's the same as 11,160,000 miles a minute. That's the same as 669,600,000 miles an hour. I like speed. I'm not going to lie. I, I am a, I, I'm going to, I'm definitely an adrenaline junkie, okay? I like speed. Always liked it. I've grown up with motorcycles all my life. I just bought a Gixxer 750. If you know what that is, you know it is a, Wow, 191 mile an hour. Kill yourself in just a second. When you hear about me dying on this motorcycle, don't even feel sorry for me, okay? I deserved it, okay? Man, this thing will fly. 191 miles an hour, and you feel like, whoa, that's nothing compared to light. Light is 669,600,000 miles an hour. That's the same as, hey, listen, listen, I need you guys to get this, 5.88 trillion miles a year. I lost you guys there because million, billion, and trillion do not fit in your brains. Congress knows this. They take advantage of it all the time. We can't handle big numbers like this. So I tell you what, let's, let's try to figure out exactly how much a trillion is. When I say million, billion, and trillion, let's find out exactly how much is a trillion. Here's what I'll do. I'm going to use, I think I got one in here. Yeah. I'll use $100 bills. $100 bills. How much... How many $100 bills would it take to make a trillion dollars? If you had if you had a half-inch thick stack of $100 bills, you would have $10,000. $10,000 in $100 bills. Is that 100? Man, don't lose that. Dude, I might have changed. That that's that that would that you guys think that's a lot. It's not a lot, okay? It's not. But if you had if you had a hundred of those little bitty packets, you would have one million dollars. That's what a million bucks looks like in hundred dollar bills. If that's a million, what's a billion look like? Are you ready? A thousand of them. 
That's $1 billion in $100 bills. Hey, hey, if that's a billion, how much is a trillion? A thousand of those. Ladies and gentlemen, that is $1 trillion in $100 bills. Hey, 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 is there a difference between million, billion, and trillion? Is there a difference? Oh, my goodness. Guys, guys, don't, don't let this go too fast. Light is traveling 5.88 trillion miles every year. Now, you don't think that's a big deal, but here's why it's a big deal. Because when, when astronomers are looking up into space and they're looking up at the stars up there and they're checking them out and they're seeing what's going on and they're seeing how far away they are, they don't measure how far away they are in inches. They don't use feet. They don't use miles. They use, holy smokes, the inch in outer space is 5.88 trillion miles that's like the little bitty inch out there in space oh my goodness now the the sun is like the big deal of our solar system it's like the 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 huge star that takes up takes up a lot of space in our solar system and the sun is 93 million miles away and trust me you are really glad it's 93 million miles away okay you do not want it to be 92 you do not want it to be 94 you want it to be 93, okay? It's just right. Otherwise, too hot or too cold. We don't want those. Ouchie or burr, no life on planet Earth. We're just right, 93 million miles away. Now, here's the, uh, the planets. If you know, the solar system consists of the sun and the eight planets. Now, when I was a kid, we had nine planets. A couple years ago, they kicked Pluto out of the planet club. I don't get it. And he had such cute ears, too. But they kicked Pluto out, so here's the planets. Now, if we were to put all the planets next to each other, here's the planets next to each other, all the different planets. That's Pluto down there, Earth, Neptune, that one we need to rename, Saturn, and Jupiter, okay? Now, if we were to zoom out and put the sun inside of this picture, this is what the planets would look like next to the sun, You could fit one million planet Earths inside of the sun. People are thinking, oh, man, the sun is huge. <laughs> I got a video, if you can get this. I got a video. The sun is nothing compared to the stars that are out there in space. Check this out. It's nearly a million miles in diameter, yet our sun is tiny compared to the really big stars out there. Eta Carinae, over five million times larger than our sun. Betelgeuse, 300 times larger than Eta Carinae. If it was our sun, it would reach as far out as Jupiter. And then there's this monster, V.Y. Canis Majoris, the largest star ever discovered, a billion times bigger than our sun. It's a, uh, it's a big world out there. 
it's a it's a really 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 big world out there hold your questions i don't have a lot of time you know scientists have this nagging question they go what's it doing why is it there I mean, if all of that space and all of those stars and all those galaxies are out there just for you and for me and the other 7.99 billion people on the planet, there's a lot of wasted space out there. (laughs) David, the man after God's own heart who never owned a telescope, he said, I know what's going on. He goes, hey, guys, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. He said, there's no speech nor language where their voice isn't heard. A.W. Tozier said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I just can't help but wonder, what comes into your mind when you think about God? I mean, is it really wonder and awestruck wonder? Is it truly wonder and awestruck wonder at the mention of his name? What comes into your mind? You ready? Ready? God. What comes to your mind? Can I just be honest with you guys? I feel like we grew up in church and we learn these words. But honestly, our view of God is a little bit small. You know how I know? Because you and I, we kind of play games with God. We kind of put God in time out. We do what we want. And then God comes and tries to get us. And it's like, oh, well, he has to forgive me if I pray. So... Dear Jesus, please forgive me. Amen. And God goes, oh, almost got him. Back to timeout. And we play these silly games with God. I, I don't think God is playing our games. In the book of Romans, in the book of yeah, Romans chapter 11, it says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. I know you keep trying to figure out what God is up to. You're not going to get it. His ways are higher than your ways. His ways are higher than my ways. He says, Who hath known the mind of the Lord? Does anybody understand the mind of God? I mean, who's God's counselor? You know, and this is the problem. Because you want to be God's counselor. And I want to be God's counselor. And we try to give God lots of advice of what we think he should do in our lives. Because we know best. And I just can't help but wonder, do you have any idea who God really is? Any idea who he really is. Hey, who's given something to God? Anybody ever given anything to God? Like, oh yeah, man, offering plate came around at church. I gave to God. (laughs) No, you didn't. You just gave back to him. It's all his. He owns it all. He owns what you put in and what you don't put in. You can't give anything to God. God's not in debt to you. He doesn't owe you anything. Verse 36 says, for of him and through him and to him are what? Try it again. Verse 36 says, for of him and through him and to him are what? Hang on. How many things? How many? For of him and through him and to him are? Hey, get this, get this, get this. Why does everything come from God, go through God, and go back to God? To whom be? To whom be, to whom be, hey, 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 
so that God will get glory. Hey, next time you question, why is God letting this in my life? Here's your answer. So that he'll get glory. Why did God allow that to happen? Hey, here's your answer. So that he'll get glory. He made it pretty clear to the children of Israel in Isaiah. He goes, I'm God. I'm the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, uh, neither my praises to graven images. Remember the former things of old? I am God. There's none else. I am God. There is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, hey, guys, my counsel is what's going to stand. I'll do whatever I want to do. I'm going to do all my pleasure. And this, again, is where we run into the problem because you want God to do your pleasure. I want God to do my pleasure. And God says he's doing his own pleasure. He's doing what pleases himself. And this is where you have a humanistic view of God over and over and over. And I'm telling you, you got to stop. You think God exists for your pleasure. That is not the way it works. God doesn't exist for your pleasure. You exist for his. Don't believe me? Okay, Colossians. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and who are they created for? For, for you? For who? It's all for God. Don't believe me? Daniel, all the people of the earth is regard, are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the power of heaven and the people of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say, what have you done? Guys, I get it. I get it. In our frailty, in our weakness, we adopt humanism. And something bad comes into our life, and we go, God, what are you doing? And God goes, stop, 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 stop. My glory, not yours. My glory, not yours. Hey, let's shrink the, the solar system down to the size of a quarter. Does anybody have a quarter, 25 cents? Can I, can I borrow for an illustration real quick? I'll trade you if you want to trade one of my Ten Commandment coins. You got it? All right, bring it down here, one of you guys. First one, first one. Ah, he beat you. All right, there you go. All right. Mm. Okay. We're going to shrink our entire solar system down to the size of a quarter, a quarter, okay? So that is the whole solar system. George Washington's earwax is the sun, all right? Right there. It's under the wig. You can't quite see it. Uh, Earth, orbit of Earth is under the wig right there. We're still kind of under the wig, but right there. out here at the very, very edge, this is the orbit of Neptune or Pluto, if you want to include that. You know, that's the edge of the quarter. That's our entire solar system, okay? You're right there on little bitty Earth. You're going around that little bitty sun. You're, you're sitting in that cute little chapel. Say hi. Not, not too loud, okay, because don't want to scare us. All right, so we're right there on little bitty Earth. Okay, if this is our solar system, our solar s- system is inside of what's called a galaxy. Does anybody know the name of our galaxy? The Milky Way galaxy, yeah. So we're inside of this galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, and there's lots of stars. Now, we're not in the middle of the Milky Way. That's way too crazy, way too many stars. We're kind of way over on the edge of the Milky Way galaxy. If this was the size of our solar system, how big would the Milky Way galaxy be? You think it'd be as big as this entire auditorium, the whole chapel? bigger than this auditorium. You think the size of uh, 
California. Bigger than California. As big as Texas. Ain't nothing bigger than Texas. Bigger. United States of America. The, hey, guys, no, no, you, I don't think you get it. This is planet Earth going around the planet Sun. This is the orbit of Neptune. That is our entire solar system. And our Milky Way galaxy is as big as as big as United States of America? Bigger. Hey, hey, if this if this were our solar system, our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy would be represented by all of North America, Canada, Mexico and the United States all put together. And this this is us. Wow. Hey, hey, pretend for just a second. Pretend that you were the God who created it all, and you wanted those little bitty people right there, those little bitty people with those, those, those you know, little bitty brains. You wanted those little bitty people with those little bitty brains. You wanted, all they needed to do is look up and go, wow. <laughs> wow. And that's all you just wanted them to be like, wah, forever, their whole life. How many stars do you put in your Milky Way galaxy to get their attention? A million? 10 million? 20 million? 100 million? 1 billion? 20 billion? 100 billion? Scientists estimate that just in our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, there are one, or excuse me, 200 plus billion stars in our galaxy. If you were to travel at the speed of light, 186,000 miles every second, it would take you 100,000 years to get from one side of our galaxy to the other side of our galaxy. Scientists did an experiment with the Hubble telescope. They zoomed in to a section of the sky where they thought there were no stars whatsoever. They thought there were zero stars in the section of sky. The size of the sky they zoomed in on was the size of a grain of sand held at arm's length. So if you looked at the night sky, grabbed a grain of sand, held it up at arm's length, that's the section of sky they zoomed in on, whatever that grain of sand covers. They thought in that little bitty section of sky there were no stars whatsoever. Over an 11-day period, they did a 100-hour exposure on the camera of the Hubble telescope on that one little section. If there was any speck of light, they wanted to see it. When they got the image back, Scientists' jaws hit the floor from what they saw in this little speck of the sky where they thought there were no stars at all. This is the image they received. Oh, guys, those aren't stars. Those are galaxies. It's been estimated, I told you yesterday, it's been estimated there are enough stars that every single person on earth could own 76 or own 11 trillion of them. They estimate 76 trillion stars in the universe. Have you thought about that? If evolution is true and the universe formed, anybody remember Big Bang happened when? Somewhere between how long ago? 13 and 20 billion years ago. They Right now they're at 13.8 billion. They were at 13.4 last year, but anyway, they change it all the time. But 13.4, 13.8 billion. If you were to make 76 trillion stars in 13.4 billion years, 
How fast would you have to make stars? Here it is. 76 trillion stars in 13.4 billion years. You'd have to make that many a year, that many a day, that many an hour, that many a minute, 165,000 per second for all 13.4 billion years straight. We don't see that many stars forming, do we? We don't see any stars forming. We don't see evidence of this evolution worldview. I told you guys I live in Pensacola, Florida. I love the sugar sand beach of Pensacola. It is amazing, the whole Gulf Coast. Scientists did an experiment, and they calculated how many grains of sand are on the beaches of Pensacola. Guess how many? I have no idea. They added that to the next beach over, Navarre Beach. Went on around Florida, all the way around Florida, continued around the coasts of America and then every continent in the world, calculating the number of grains of sand on all the beaches of the planet. They added that number to the number of grains of sand in all the deserts of the planet. Calculations, math. Square yards, square, square miles, you just simply, it's mathematics. Or it was a government project. One, two, three. Guess the, I mean, the number of grains of sand on planet Earth was calculated. You know what number they came up with? You ready? You ready? Seven and a half quintillion grains of sand on planet Earth. You're like, uh, so? <laughs> oh, do you, do you guys not know what this means? There's more stars in the sky than pieces of sand on our planet. That means every star in the sky is represented, or excuse me, every grain of sand on planet Earth represents 9,333 stars in the sky. Oh, no, 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 you know what that means. Oh! You know what that means. That means God's a big God. Hey, I got another video. This is going to take a minute for me to show. We're going to go just a few minutes late tonight. This is the largest photograph ever taken. You know, you get your cameras and it's 12 megapixels and now the new is 40 megapixels and then the Samsung's coming out with 110 megapixels. This is a one and a half gigapixel, a 1,500 megapixel image. Check it out. What, uh, what comes into your mind when you think about God? No, 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 seriously, seriously, guys, guys. The God that you imagine is way too small. He's a God that you can play around with. He's a God that you can obey when you want and disobey when you want. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not the creator of the heavens and the earth. The creator of the heavens and the earth said, I call the stars. I, I measured the heavens. He said, oh, he says he measured the heavens with his span. The distance from the tip of your thumb to the tip of your pinky is a span. He measured the heavens with his span. And then he said, no, man, I, I call those stars by their names. He's named the stars. That's why David said, you set your glory in the heavens. When I consider thy heavens the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Who are we compared to God? See, guys, God made this world absolutely perfect. It was beautiful. It was spectacular. And then he said, man, I'm going to give you guys the choice. You get to choose your glory or mine. And man said, thank you very much for the freedom. 
I choose my glory. Don't think you'd be any different because you make the same choice all the time. You choose your glory over God's all the time. And then something tragic happened when they did that. Sin came into God's perfect creation. And what followed sin? Death followed sin. Let me ask you something. Hey, let me ask you something. Listen. What would you have done to the people that caused that? You create a perfect world. You say, I'm going to put my, I'm going to put my prized possession, my prized creation right there. And I'm going to let them choose. Now, the trees don't have a choice. They have to glorify me. I'm going to make some individuals with the freedom to choose my glory or theirs. And they go, thank you very much. I choose mine. And ruin your perfect creation. Bring sin, death, evil, suffering into your perfect creation. What do you do? Start over. You know, the Bible records for us God's knee-jerk reaction to man's sin. I want to show you one more video. I told you we're going to go just a little bit long tonight. Just because I, I just want to make sure you understand who God is. This may not, this may not give you the biggest view you can get, but I hope it'll help. In 1977, they launched a space shuttle called the Voyager. The Voyager's job was to go out into deep space. <laughs> they were trying to get off the quarter. I put together a little video about the Voyager's journey through space. Check this out. September 5th, 1977, NASA's Voyager 1 launched from Cape Canaveral, Florida, aboard a Titan Centaur rocket. Initially designed to last five years, today, more than four decades after launch, Voyager 1 is still sending back data as it explores interstellar space. One and a half years after launch, Voyager 1 had reached Jupiter. For the first time, we were seeing close-up images of this giant in our solar system. Voyager's next event was an encounter with Saturn. Visible from the Earth with the naked eye, our appreciation grew with what seemed to be personal portraits of Saturn with her rings and her moons. Continuing away from the Earth at 40,000 miles an hour, Voyager continued to stay in contact with planet Earth. In 1990, NASA gave Voyager what they thought would be its last command. Focus your camera back toward home and send us a picture of what you see. What it captured was remarkable. There, as a faint speck, was our home. 
this image has come to be known as the pale blue dot. It's planet Earth <laughs> from not even the edge of the quarter. I can't help but think that this is a little bit more like God's perspective on Earth. I mean, when you stand back and you look at it from this perspective, that's, that's you guys right there sitting on that little bitty dot right there. Let me ask you guys something. Does it matter who sits in the front seat of the car from this perspective? Does it matter what kind of car it is from this perspective? Does it matter how fast that car goes from this perspective? You know, it does matter to use that car for the glory of God or not. Does it matter how big the driveway is that car parks in? Does it matter how big the house is that it's attached to dri dri that driveway? You know what matters is, is that house used for the glory of God or for your glory? I just think that if you got a perspective of God that was a little bit bigger than our little bitty earthly perspective, that it just might transform your life. You just might be a little bit different. Seeing earth the way God sees it. Carl Sagan had a famous quote about the pale blue dot. He said, if you look at it, by the way, he was the world's most famous atheist. He said, if you look at it, you see a dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you've ever heard of, they live there on a mode of dust suspended in a sunbeam. He said, think of the rivers of blood spilled by generals and emperors so that in glory and triumph, they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a Think of the endless cruelties visited by the inhabitants of, of, of one corner of the dot on sacredly distinguishable inhabitants of some other corner of this dot. Then he said, in all this vastness, there's no hint that somebody's going to come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. Carl Sagan. He said, nobody's coming to this little bitty dot. Nobody's going to save us from ourselves. How would you respond to man bringing sin and death and evil into your perfect creation? The Bible records God's knee-jerk reaction to when this happened. Hey, get this, hear me. I know we're going long, hear me, please. We find his reaction in Philippians chapter 2. In verse 5, it says, it's talking about Jesus. Uh, in verse 5, this is talking about Jesus. Okay, verse 6, who being in the form of Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a... Hang on, hang on, hang on. He's the one who created it all. And he's going to become a what? And then be made in the likeness of... Those are the people that betrayed him. Those are the traitors. And then being found in fashion as a man, he, he humbled himself and became obedient unto, and not just any death, the death of the, the worst kind imaginable ever invented? What? Why would he do this? Careful, careful. 
don't you dare keep thinking like a humanist. I know why he did that. He did that for me. Humanist. It's all about me, isn't it? Humanism. It's all for my pleasure. That's not what Scripture says. <laughs> you keep reading in Philippians, it says, because of this, because of what Christ did, here's what really happened. God exalted him, Jesus, and gave him, not you, him, a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth. <laughs> and every tongue should confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the, to the, come on, to the, so that God would get the glory. Because nobody would have done that. You wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have done it. Nobody sends what's most precious to them to die for the traitor. And God said, exactly. You have no idea who you're dealing with. It's been said when the king sends what's most precious to him and sacrifices it for the subjects, that says a lot about the king, not the subjects. And you and I want to focus on nothing but us. We've got a humanistic Christianity that says all of life is about us. Come to Jesus so that he'll give you, give you, give you. He'll bless you, bless you, bless you. That is a humanist. That is a man-centered. That is a hell-bound gospel. It is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, I am God. There is none else. There's none like me. I'll do all my pleasure, and I'll send what's most precious to me to sacrifice it for the subjects so that hopefully they'll realize who they're dealing with because nobody would do this. I'm doing this to make me look good is what God is saying. You're still trying to figure out how God can make you look good and how God can make you popular and how God can help you and do this for you and be your butler and get you this and get you that and help me here and help me there. Isn't that how we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, gracious God, gimme, 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 gimme. Isn't that how we pray? Kind of humanist, isn't it? Kind of butlery God, isn't it? Why don't we get on our knees and say, God, break me. God, I am unworthy. I don't deserve your love. And yet you love me. Why don't we get a Christ-centered gospel into our hearts? Why don't we once and for all go, God, it's not about me. It is about you. This life that I'm living, these circumstances that I'm in, these circumstances are putty in your hand. They are clay in your hand from which you can mold glory from yourself. But you keep thinking, God, if you just gave me different circumstances, if you just gave me different parents, if you just gave me a different counselor, if you just gave me a different, uh, different school, if you just gave me, no, no, no. And then you want to say, God, why? If you just wouldn't have, if you just would have, if you just, no. You are in circumstances right now from which God wants the glory because he wants your obedience. 
He wants you to say no to self and yes to him. My, my biggest concern, and I'm not joking here, my biggest concern is that a lot of you have grown up in the church like I did, and you're nothing but a product of the humanistic gospel. You're the product of a church environment. You're not a real follower, a real disciple of Jesus Christ. Scariest verse in the Bible, Matthew chapter 21, or Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Many are going to come to me in that day and say, didn't I believe? Didn't I do all these things? And I'm going to say, depart from me, you you that work iniquity. I never knew you. He's not talking about the people that aren't claiming Christ. He's talking about those who are. Are you the product of a man-centered gospel? Or have you seen your sin in light of God's holiness? And said, God, I'm sorry. I deserve hell. You know why you think lying isn't such a big deal? Because you don't think God is much different than you. That's why you think it's okay. Because you don't understand the holiness of God. The Bible says all liars will have their part in the lake of fire, by the way. You don't think taking something small is a big deal because you don't think God is much different than you because you're a humanist and you've broken commandment number one and you've made an idol out of God and your idol of God looks a lot like you. That's the problem. And you need the real God. You need to get a vision of who God really is. We sing the songs, holy, holy, holy. We sing the songs, oh, yes, man, we wonder at your name. Awestruck wonder, do we really? No, because we don't think he's much different than us. What, What in the world would it look like if you truly saw God for who he was and said, that's God, I'm serving you all the days of my life? I think, I think we'd be done playing games with God, wouldn't we? I think we'd be done with, ooh, hot, hot, oh, doing good, up, uh, cold spell, cold spell. I'm just kind of, yeah, I'm just kind of struggling spiritually. Ooh, hot, hot, oh, good sermon this week. Ooh, hot, oh, man, you know, rough day at the office, not doing too good with God. If you ever saw God for who he was, I think you'd stop playing games with him. But you think God is a God that you can play games with, and he's not. He's not messing around. So how about it? Are you the product of a man-centered gospel? Are you a product of the church environment? Or have you ever really repented and said, God, my sin is against you and you alone. I'm sorry. See, I look good on the outside to everybody else in my church. Oh, man, I look good. I was a leader in the youth group. Man, I looked good to everybody else. But God knew my heart. And I knew. I had some stuff in here some secret stuff that nobody knew about. 
And I was just playing a game. So here's my question. I want to know who wants to be done playing a game and who wants to get really, truly, radically, righteously saved and say, I'm going to follow God with my life. I want him to lead me. I'm done playing church. I want a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it's true. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I'm going to do that not out of a what you can do for me. If I go to hell at the end of it, God, you're worthy. But I'm going to live for you all the days of my life. I'm done playing games with you. That's our challenge tonight. Who's ready to be done playing games and have a real relationship with the creator of the universe who died for you? Because if he were to look into your eyes, I think he'd say, listen, listen, you don't have to do those things anymore. I love you. You don't have to treat people that way anymore. I, I love you. You don't have to act out like that anymore. I love you. I died on the cross to forgive you of your sins. You ready for God's forgiveness? You ready to follow Christ? If you're ready to make that commitment tonight, on the count of three, I want you to stand to your feet. I know it can be nervous. I know it can be, to some of you, embarrassing. I promise you, the angels in heaven are going to scream and rejoice because right now spiritual battle is taking place and Satan does not want you to make a commitment to follow Christ. One. Three, if that's you, just stand up. Say, I'm ready to follow Christ for real, like for real, not playing a game. He's not playing, done playing a game for real. The Bible's very clear, guys, very, very clear. It's not by praying a prayer that you get saved. It's by trusting in what God did on the cross, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and saying, it's not anything that I've done, I'm going to accept the free gift that you've given me. We talk to God through prayer. That's why oftentimes people lead somebody in a prayer. But it's you calling out to God and saying, God, I'm sorry. I want to see my sin the way you see it. I am sorry, which I should be. But more than that, God, I want to repent. It's, it's, the word literally means to turn around. I was walking this way. Repent means to turn around and go the other direction. God, I'm sorry. I, I, help me repent. God, grant me repentance that I can know the truth. Make me a new creature in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to pray a prayer for you. I know there's a lot of people that do that. I don't do that. If you had to say, I'm sorry to your mom, I wouldn't stand there and go, okay, now tell her this. Now tell her this. Okay, now say this. Okay, now it's all better. I'd say, you pour your heart out to your mom. You pour your heart out to your dad. You ask for forgiveness. Tonight, tonight, we're going to go to so what time right now? Can I ask you guys? Would you boldly, would you boldly pray in your so what time with your group? And would you, would you literally pray the prayers out loud? I love it. It's precious. I never know what's going to come out of somebody's mouth, mouth when I don't tell them what to pray. But it's beautiful. It's amazing. What would you say to your creator who's offering you forgiveness? 
and says, all you got to do is repent and trust in my death, burial, and resurrection for salvation. I'm excited for you. For those of you that are real, I'm very excited for you. It's not going to be easy. God doesn't promise easy. But he promises that he'll guide you all along the way. I'm just going to pray a prayer over each and every one of you guys right now. Heavenly Father, you are the God that is worthy. Oh, God, you are worthy of every single one of these young people. It's standing to their feet right now and declaring, I'm going to live my life, God, not for my glory anymore. No more humanist gospel. God, I'm living my life for your glory and for yours alone. Heavenly Father, I just pray that each individual one of these young people would just say, God, God, I want nothing in this life except you. God, I know you don't promise me a good life. I know you don't promise me health and you don't promise me wealth. But God, what you have given me, I'm going to put back into your hands my life, my mouth, my mind, my possessions. It's yours. I'm following you from now on. God, would tonight, would tonight at Heartland Christian Camp, right after July 4th fireworks, would tonight at Heartland Christian Camp be a defining moment where kids write it down and they say, July 5th. 2022, God showed up in my life. Not I, there was an amazing speaker. Not he said some really cool things. God, your Holy Spirit opened my eyes for me to see the truth. Oh God, would we be forever changed? Forever changed. It is in your precious and your holy, holy, Oh, my goodness. Holy name, a name that I can't believe we can even say. Jesus. We pray these things. Amen.